you can look that wallet up on the blockchain. There's something like 250,000 NFTs in there or some obscene number. It, it, it's crazy, but it works very similar to a custodial exchange like Gemini or Coinbase, which are all companies you know that people are very familiar with. And that, especially for newbies, is a very secure way to hold your NFTs because self-custing NFTs is really tricky and there's a very high cost of failure. Welcome to the NFT Now podcast. Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. I'm Alejandro Navia. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture. Welcome to the show. Alejandro, how are we doing? Oh man, it feels so good to be back. I know I took a little bit of hiatus uh, from the podcast, just working really hard on our events at the Art Basel and just gearing up for an excellent 2022. I'm doing phenomenal, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Well, we are grateful to all of your work as well, and we're happy to have you back. Today, we've got guests I'm very excited to get on. We've got Duncan and Griffin Cockfoster, co-founders of Nifty Gateway, one of the leading NFT platforms in the space. As you know, the sales volume explosion there uh, last year really kind of helped kick off the whole bull run um, that we've experienced. And I'm really excited to hear their thoughts about some of the lessons learned from, from that experience and, and what they have coming in the in the new year. How about you? Man, I'm just really excited to hear about their founding story, the dynamics of working with twin brothers as like twin brothers, but also working with twin brothers, uh, Gemini. And I'm just really excited to see how they're navigating the startup life. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what they have in store for 2022. Absolutely. Uh, before we jump into it, just a reminder, if you haven't already, sign up for our newsletter, nftnow.com slash newsletter. We're always distilling uh, act, you know, everything that's going on in the markets into actionable insights for you. And we know it's, it's a lot to keep up with, so valuable resource for you as you go forward. Without any further ado, Duncan and Griffin Cockfoster from Nifty Gateway. Duncan, Griffin, so glad to have you on the NFT Now podcast 2022. How are you both doing? Great. Thanks for having us. Oh yeah, Matt. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Of course. So we got a lot to get into, but real quick before we jump into everything, for our listeners who may not be familiar, give just a quick backstory of Nifty Gateway and your entry point to NFTs. Totally. Nifty Gateway has been around since uh, 2018. We got into NFTs pretty early and the focus has always been on accessibility. Our motto is we will not rest until 1 billion people are collecting NFTs. The goal has always been to make NFTs easier to access. I tell the story everywhere I go, but uh, our investor, Adam Draper, he told us the story about him trying to buy a crypto kitty. He spent four hours trying to buy and gave up. And we looked at that and we said, you know, NFTs are not going to hit mass adoption until we can reduce the friction and we can make it easy for people to get started. And that's what Nifty Gateway has always been about. Um, we've always built products that aim to make it you know, faster, easier, safer, and cheaper for people to buy, sell, and, and store NFTs. And our, our product, the one that everybody knows us for is the Nifty Gateway Marketplace. And that launched almost two years ago now. It launched March 2020, right, <laughs> right about the week that all the lockdowns hit, which was an interesting time to launch a product. But um, yeah, what I'd say what we're known for is drops with top tier artists. We've done a lot of drops with some really, really great artists like Pac, like Beeple, Micah Johnson, and also, like Duncan said, the accessibility. Nifty Gateway offers custody as a feature to customers as well as fiat on-ramps. So what that means is if you're a new user, you can come sign up and buy an NFT 
in five minutes with just a credit card and we custody it for you if you want. And then you can always withdraw it to your own self-custodied wallet at any time if you want as well. And yeah, you know, Duncan and I have been building this space for three years now. We've always believed in the long-term potential of NFTs. And it's just, it's been remarkable to watch how much the NFT industry has grown since we started. And since it was this tiny little thing that, you know, maybe a few hundred people were buying and selling NFTs. And we just got such a look of skepticism from our friends and family. And now here we are three years later and all of our friends are degening into thousands of dollars worth of NFTs. You know, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkable shift. It's been quite the ride. <laughs> All right. So good, quick question, guys. Who came up with the idea and like, how did the idea for Nifty come up? I came up with the idea and I, I got Griffin interested. He was skeptical of NFTs at first, as many people are. I mean, it's a weird concept. Like um, yeah, especially three years ago. Like that's, that's a lot of foresight, Duncan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right. Like, you know, we're now one year, let's bring it back to the present. We're now one year out from the explosive market numbers that thrust Nifty into the spotlight and kicked off this massive NFT bull run that was 2021. Take us back. What was that like? I, I honestly would describe it as like a, a pretty crazy and overwhelming experience. I mean, I don't, I don't think uh, I was just listening to, to, the, to the Y Combinator, like startup school podcast over the over the holidays one point that they made is like you know as as startups grow like and get later stage um you have like higher highs and lower lows at the same time so like yes you get like that satisfaction like the first people drop or the second people sale and he did over two million dollars and it was sort of this insane moment for nfts and i think a lot of i really date the the craziness back to that moment because a lot of people woke up and said wait wait a second you can sell two million dollars selling nfts like what what are those now I, I think that really kicked off so much of the craziness that was a very high high but then you also get the the low lows of you know all of a sudden you have way too much volume on your system you don't have enough staff to handle it your customer support department is is non-existent because Griffin and I were doing the customer support. We didn't have zero customer support people. And then, you know, all the other issues just get magnified at scale. So that, that's really the way I would describe it. Higher highs and lower lows and just more, more volatility. That's what comes with being a, a founder when, when a space blows up like NFTs. Did. How big was your team during that time, if I may ask? Great question. Back a year ago, I mean, I remember it very well. I think our team was eight people. We did a, mo- a million dollars in volume in November 2020. You know, for us, we were like delighted. We we're like a million dollars. Holy crap. You know, our first month we did $30,000. But then five months after November 2020, in March, yeah, in March 2021, we did $140 million in volume. And our, our team only grew probably by two or three people. So, you know, we went from our, our monthly volume grew 140x in the span of five months. And our team went from six to eight and we were just completely drowning. I mean, I remember a year ago, I think it was about a year ago, we were getting, there were periods where we get 200 customer support requests a day or more. And we didn't have a single full-time customer support person, which, you know, it, it's just a hell like I can't really describe it, it. It's horrible. And so many people needed help. And is there a memorable like experience that you had with a, like a customer rep? Is there like one of those like in the trenches stories that you'd love to share? Yeah. Well, I, I remember it was about a year ago and, you know, this was during lockdown. So I was with my family and I was staying at my uncle's house in California and he saw me and he was like, he said at the time, like he thought I looked really stressed out and he was like, poor Griffin, like, you know, I think he should calm down. And then when he found out that we were dealing with 200 customer support requests a day and I was the only person answering them, he was like, wow, I'm like amazed he's not more freaked out. Like, <laughs> holy crap. In, in the past year, we've we've hired a lot of people and now we have a whole team and a fantastic director of client services who leads customer support. And, you know, that some things you can't speed up and I wish we could have 
handled all that scaling much better, but now we're in a much better place. So that is pretty great to see. And I'm really, really proud of the team we've hired at Nifty, like some incredible people. Absolutely. And, you know, whenever you have like a, a meteoric rise like that, you're always playing catch up mode, you know, as a, especially as a, as a company of that size, thinking back, you know, over the past year, a lot of a lot of ups and downs, like you said, like high highs, low lows. I know, like so, some areas that, of issues that that you dealt with, you know, were some criticisms around like oversupply uh, when it came to when it came to the drops, and and then you know some things that would come up with artist relations. Just curious to hear your thoughts on like what would you do differently, like kind of given the be- the benefit of hindsight. Totally, that that's a great question. I think uh, the main thing that that we've learned, or one of the main things that we've learned over the past year, is that our thesis is wrong. Our thesis was wrong. I think we've corrected now. Our thesis was wrong about what would make the highest quality NFTs a year ago, and and this is a you know a lot of our thinking at the time was was impacted by the way that the space evolved and the way the space was viewed. But a year ago, our thinking was okay. The people who are going to make the most impactful NFTs, the like most valuable NFTs, are people who are really good in some other medium that are going to come in and crush this medium because they're famous, they have a bunch of followers, and they're really successful. You know, as a physical artist or or maybe they found a bunch of success as a DJ, and that means that they're going to be able to succeed in the in the NFT medium. So we really that, that was our thesis, and and we spent a lot of time like pursuing those people and trying to convince them to make NFTs because we thought that that was the best way to grow the NFT space. I think what we quickly saw is that you know actually the people who make the best NFTs this is this is what we learned over the past year are the NFT native creators, and I actually think there's a pretty simple explanation for that. Um, you know, Griffin had a good way of of putting this where he's like if you're Robert De Niro, for example, you wake up every day and you think, how can I be a better actor? And like every waking hour is dedicated to that. And then maybe if you're making an NFT as Robert De Niro, like you're really good at being an actor, but you haven't really thought about how to make a great NFT. Whereas if you're Pac, you wake up every day and you say, how do I make better NFTs? If you're like, you know, Bored Apes or or Doodles, you wake up every day and you say, how do I like grow this NFT native brand? So NFTs are, as a creative medium, they have enough depth and enough complexity that it really tends to be the people who are most native to the medium and are constantly working to improve themselves. The people who wake up every day and say, how do I make better NFTs? That would that would be what I say is the main the main learning for me is that NFT native, like NFTs are a complex and, and nuanced enough medium that it tends to be the native creators who do the best. On oversupply as well, I mean, I would say we didn't have a strong enough curation thesis, and we definitely have a stronger curation curation thesis now. Like the curated drops, I think are, I mean, they're doing really well. Um, there was like a, a period where a lot of curated drops were not doing as well. Some of them weren't selling out, but uh, they really recovered quite nicely. And actually our curated drop volume in December was, I think, higher than it's ever been. So they're, they're hitting new highs. You know, obviously every every journey you're going to learn, adjust, and and grow. But yeah, those, that would really be the the main thing that I would say about curation. I would also, you know, I, I would say Duncan's right. It's definitely been a year of high, high, and low lows. And anyone who's been around in the NFT space has seen it, and they've seen like Nifty get a lot of criticism on Twitter. My impression is that it's ebbed recently, but there were certainly periods where we got criticized a lot. And you know, the other one, I, we saw some people just get really frustrated with the amount of bugs on the site and issues, and some big collectors, you know basically rage quit, which my impression is that that came from just not being ready to scale. We had such a small team, you know, there were eight of us handling $140 million a month in volume. So many people just weren't getting responses to their customer support requests, which is a horrible experience. You know, I I can't really blame anyone 
for churning if if that happens to them. I will say now we're thinking a lot more diligently about what we need to do to scale and working backwards from that. We are committed to providing a great experience and all the stuff that we do. And the NFT space has changed a lot since then. It's really interesting to see. So, you know, it, it, it's been a journey, but great, great learning experience. And I, w- I will just say it's good to prepare for scale in a, in a company and work backwards and think about that. And that's something that Duncan and I really have learned. Yeah, there's no substitute for for senior technical talent or for people who have like built robust systems before. I mean, we we wrote a lot of the early code for for Nifty, and we're like we're honestly more of hackers than engineers is the way I would describe myself. So like you build the MVP and that gets you like that gets you to the point where like you're able to bring on the more senior people. Now the people like you know like we haven't written code for Nifty for a long time. Now the people writing code are like true professionals. And uh, you know they're really building a like a robust system, and I think the users have really noticed that. Like the amount of bugs are like nowhere near where they were, and it's only getting better. So that's really exciting. That's really awesome, Anna, and thank you so much for that incredibly candid response. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's a refreshing take. A question on that front, in terms of scaling, you guys are part of Gemini, you know, and like in, in scaling that capacity. What are some of the kind of like learnings that you guys have taken from the Winklevi and from the Gemini organization that, in terms of scaling, and how is that? kind of incorporated into nifty the number one lesson that i've learned from the winkle vibe isn't actually like technology related i would say like you know it's it's really critical to be integrity first that's the way i would describe the 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 thing that i've learned from the the winkle vibe winkle boss twins they've optimized from integrity for day one and they like never compromise when when it comes to something like that and that really pays off with a culture like that's full of trust where like people feel psychologically safe and people feel like ready willing to to commit and like put themselves on the line for the company. So like I think that's the the number one most important lesson. And I think like it can be easy to to get that wrong or to like you see a lot of entrepreneurs say like okay whatever like I don't care about PR, I don't care about you know doing the right thing and like it, I feel like it always comes back to bite them in the end. Like you know with Mark Zuckerberg and Elizabeth Holmes, I don't know. So like yeah, I I think it it derives from their very long-term orientation and like their high level of conviction and everything that they do. But I think that's the most important lesson, just like from a purely operational standpoint, uh, like we would never be able to, like Gemini has been absolutely critical in in scaling. The thing about an organization like Gemini is you get, you get people who really uh, understand technology extremely, extremely well, and who like have built systems at, at scale before. There's really no replacement for that. You know, like you can't Google, you can Google a lot of code snippets. You can't Google a way to build like a truly robust system that hand, handles like something to scale up the, the POC drop. That only comes from experience. So like having that experience on our side and having Gemini has been absolutely critical. And our CTO now, Eric Weiner, is the, he was the VP of engineering at Gemini. Um, and he built a lot of the the early Gemini system. And now he's our CTO. So that's been huge for us. Yeah, Eric's good people, man. I've been a huge fan of his career, man. Really oh, totally. He, yeah, he really is. Yeah, no, I think that's all really great insights. And, you know, you touched on something you said, like, you know, the NFT space has changed even a lot since, you know, a year ago, even six months ago. This play, it moves really quickly. I always say, like, weeks or months, months or years, you know. Um, and, and as we see, we've seen trends over the past over the past uh, year, like the rise of PFP projects, you know, the rise of OpenSea as, like, the, as this massive secondary marketplace. And I know that Nifty Gateway is now also, you know, Incorporating outside projects and also expanding as a secondary marketplace. So, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that initiative, and also like like what, what your approach is there. Like, why why should an NFT um, you know user uh, choose Nifty Gateway over say an OpenSea or another marketplace? So, a few things here. As Duncan said, Nifty Gateway has always been the accessible marketplace, and that's a really great way to think about it. One feature we have that we offer to people that again I think in large part we're able to do well because we're a part of Gemini and because we have their 
custody technology is that we have custodial NFT trading and custodial NFT purchasing. And that's one feature we offer to people. For a lot of experienced NFT users, that's not really that useful. You know, People who are self-hosting a wallet and self-custodying, they don't really care about that. But what where, who it is really useful for is new NFT purchasers. Like so many people I talk to when I meet them at NFT NYC or Basel or just online, they say that they bought their first ever NFT on Nifty Gateway. That's an incredibly common experience because it's so easy. Buying an NFT on Nifty Gateway, you just go sign up with an email and password. You use the same flow that you're used to and you put in your credit card, you hit buy, and you can go from not owning an NFT to owning an NFT in 60 seconds. And th there's no other site where you can do that, right? You know, it means you don't have to set up a wallet. And so I would tell people, if you ever want to get your friends into NFTs, you know, and they're, they're hesitant, have them dip their toe in the water on Nifty Gateway. It's a really great way to just get them started and they can do it super easily. And the custody is very safe. That being said, the custody is just one product that we offer. And now what we're working on is being fully hybrid custodial and non-custodial. We're not attached to being custodial by any means. It's a great product that a lot of people benefit from, but self-custody is really, really powerful. And it's one of the coolest things about crypto. Hey, so now- Before we, we dive into that, there's a lot of our listeners who are probably entering the NFT for the first time. And uh, I would love to get you to explain to them what custodial is and custodial to custodial, like, right, to kind of position that into context for, uh, you know, the people who are just starting to enter the NFT space, because I think this is an incredibly important key uh, differentiator for Nifty uh, on a technological standpoint. So we'd love to get that context brought up. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I, I often forget, you know, I, I think it's, it's tough to appreciate too. And there's not a lot of guides where you can read about this immediately. Like it takes people weeks or months to figure out like what's actually going on under the hood. And this is why we're here. This is why yeah, NFT yeah. now is here for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically what that means is so when you buy an NFT on Nifty Gateway right now and it shows up in your Nifty Gateway profile, it's being held in a giant wallet that Nifty Gateway controls. It's called the Nifty Gateway Omnibus Wallet. You, you can look that wallet up on the blockchain. There's something like 250,000 NFTs in there or some obscene number. It, it, it's crazy. You know, that it works very similar to a custodial exchange like Gemini or Coinbase, which are all companies, you know, that people are very familiar with. And that, especially for newbies, is a very secure way to hold your NFTs because self-custing NFTs is really tricky and there's a very high cost of failure. You hear people get their wallets hacked all the time. I mean, it's basically a daily occurrence on Twitter. And if you don't know what you're doing, it's really tricky to set up your own crypto wallet, set up your own MetaMask or Rainbow or whatever, and self-custody your NFTs and do it in a way that's secure. That is what custodial means, that Nifty Gateway basically has a big wallet where we hold your NFTs on your behalf. If you want, once you are a little more into crypto, you can set up your own wallet and withdraw them from your Nifty Gateway account to your own wallet at any point. And pretty soon what we're going to launch is, you know, you won't just be able to log into Nifty Gateway with an email and password. You'll also be able to log in with your wallet and you'll also be able to see all of your wallets and all of the NFTs on there. I, I don't know. Is there anything you want to add, Duncan? No, I think that was a that was a great explanation. I'm just eager to pick up the the thread about the secondary market um, that that Matt asked about earlier. Um, yeah, let's dive into it, Duncan. Let's go. Let, let's go uh, about yeah. the secondary market. Let's rock Perfect. it. Yeah. So basically, uh, allowed, around last year, we you know we started investigating the like new things we could work on, new things we can build, and we realized that uh, you know with the with the existing like custody tech that we have and the existing way that we have of matching orders, we could basically offer people a way to trade NFTs from one wallet or buy and sell NFTs from one wallet directly to another wallet. And we could do so in a way that like uses 
far less gas than any, any other platform out there. And we saw how much of a, an issue gas was becoming. Um, you know, a lot of projects, if the floor price is $100 or $150 and you have to spend $100 worth of gas to purchase that NFT, a lot of people just won't make that purchase. So we thought, okay, let's, let's go out and build a product where we have a, a, a wallet-to-wallet secondary market. Users can list items for sale from their wallet in ETH um, on Nifty Gateway, and then other users can come and buy them. And we'll be able to offer this way lower, way lower gas fee experience to users. And because of that, you know, we'll be able to unlock a lot of innovation and a lot of projects that weren't unlocked before. I think the role of, of platforms, you know, the role of NFT creators is to, to create awesome NFTs and to think about how can I, you know, make these cooler. The role of NFT platforms is to reduce friction and to make it easier for people to access NFTs to lower costs, you know, to, to help NFTs propagate more widely. Um, so we're really excited about an experience that will save so many people so much gas and like make the whole the whole ecosystem cheaper for everybody. We think that'll unlock a lot of liquidity and a lot of innovation that wouldn't be possible without lower gas fees. Um, this is all on mainnet Ethereum. I should I should mention. I realized I didn't contextualize that, but that is where most of the, the issues with with gas fees are. So what I'm hearing from you is that it's going to be cheaper, faster, and more secure. Uh, to be able to move on that front, right? In terms of like trading NFTs on Nifty. Right. It will actually, a lot of the attack vectors that I've read that, uh, you know, target other marketplaces, they basically involve you getting users to sign fake orders. So that that also won't be an attack vector on on the way that we do it. So yeah, it will also be more secure for a, for a first-time user. It'll, it'll essentially be harder for, for an attacker to, to get them to sign something fake to steal their their NFTs. So yeah, it's it's a really exciting product where we think it'll have a big impact on the space. Um, we think it'll unleash a new wave of, of innovation and liquidity because people will be able to, to do things that they're already doing and for a much cheaper cost and a much better experience overall. And I should also mention once we once we launch this, we're doing a big event called the Wagme Winter Wham. You know, we're gonna we'll have a bunch of trading rewards. Basically, like we're gonna partner with a bunch of projects and artists who will all offer their own rewards. We did something similar called the Secondary Summer Slam, and it was it was really awesome. I think everyone had a great time. But yeah, it'll basically be a multi-day event. You'll get rewards just for using Nifty Gateway. We're gonna we're gonna go big. We're gonna do everything we can to get get people excited about our new product and get to them to try it our, try it for the first time. So um, yeah, it's we're really excited about it. We we think it's gonna be a you know a pretty big moment for for Nifty Gateway and for the entire space. Man, that's really awesome, man, and. It sounds like this past year has been really filled with a lot of successes for Nifty and the artists on the platform. You know, as you guys mentioned, there were there's been highs and highs and the lows of the lows. You know, I'd love to take the conversation into a more interpersonal relationship because platforms don't exist without artists and artists don't exist without the platforms. And collectors are also this like little triangular like uh you know relationship concept that's really important to the balance of the ecosystem you know you guys touched on it this year that, that a lot of people were rage quitting you know both from a collector standpoint and from an artist standpoint that we saw a lot of feedback uh, on the twitter in the twitter sphere you know looking forward how does nifty plan to improve artist relations uh with artists on your platform yeah that that's a great question you know i i think especially when you're running a curated platform, artist relations are really tough. You know, you have to say no to a lot of artists and we have, and it fucking sucks. I, I think it's similar when Duncan and I were starting Nifty Gateway, we applied to Y Combinator 
twice, which is this really famous startup accelerator. And sort of everybody who's a very early stage entrepreneur wants to get in. And if they reject you, it it feels like just like a badge of shame. And yeah, I don't know. I was fucking pissed about it. And it really left a bad taste in my mouth. But sort of what I realized is that you know, Y Combinator, who's kind of a curator of early stage startups, getting rejected by them does not mean you're a bad startup. There's so many companies that get rejected by Y Combinator and end up being fantastic companies. And the same is true of anyone who curates artists, right? Like we've rejected, we get, I think we still get over hundred applications a day and we've had just so many artists apply to launch a curated drop on Nifty. And so many of them we've had to turn away, but it doesn't mean that they're bad artists. We're never going to get every great artist. That's just the reality. Like we'll get it wrong so much. We, we just try to get a certain number of great artists on the platform, but it, you know, there's a lot of artists that we'll miss out on. And I, I think that that has caused a lot of anger and frustration justifiably within the artist community, you know, nifty gateway kind of curating and saying no to people. And, you know, I, I think it's understandable. I would just say, we're not, we're not experts on what we'll do well. Like we just try to present great content to our users. And as for artist relations, I, I would say an, another tricky part has been that sort of the only way to drop on nifty has been in a curated drop. And we, are really limited in who we can give slots to. And sometimes we have to cancel people because the community is mad about oversupply. I mean, that you know definitely happened over the summer and it was it was really shitty. And canceling on someone is also terrible. If you know if they are all set up for a drop and then we end up canceling, you know, I, I can imagine like that's a terrible feeling. I, I would say one thing we want to do is be more of an agnostic provider of tools that every artist can benefit from or that a much, much larger group of artists can benefit from. You know, we we've built a lot of great drop tools. We have things like silent auctions. We have things like criteria where you can only enter a drop if you already own certain NFTs. You know, We have ranked auctions, we have open editions, we have drawings. We have a lot of really, really awesome tools for releasing NFTs that don't exist on any other platform. And I, I would say Duncan and I are builders and the organization we're, we've built is all about building awesome tools that we just want people to benefit from. So that's what we're doing with verified drops. And we are really hoping to expand that in the next few months is let a lot of artists use those drop tools and just launch great content on, on their own schedule, not curated, not with us as gatekeepers, because, you know, I mean, no one likes gatekeepers. It, it's a tough position. They're, they're probably necessary in some senses. Like, I think the fact that we present a curated selection of drops to people is awesome. And I view that as a product that people really benefit from, but we also want to build other products that don't involve gatekeepers. And that all artists can access. So yeah, I, I don't know. That that would be my answer. I think anger that we've seen and like the difficulties are justifiable and it, it's always tricky. Like you do your best as a curator and you won't always make the right decision. So I, I don't know. We I would say our next year, our focus is building tools that benefit the entire ecosystem. And like as like Duncan said, curated drops are a big part of Nifty Gateway and will be going forward, but they aren't exhaustive. We also want other tools that the entire ecosystem can benefit from and use. And we just want to build stuff that helps people adopt NFTs. Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything to add, Duncan? Yeah, I mean, I would. <clears throat> there's a you know a classic piece of startup wisdom, which is uh, do things that don't scale. I think it's most famous from Airbnb, where Airbnb wasn't really taking off in the early days, and because all the you know photos on, on their platform of the houses that they were trying to get people to stay in were so bad, so the founders like went to people's houses directly and just took photos and posted them on the platform. And we're like, here, we're going to take photos and, and uh, you know, help people improve their listings. And that's, that's really what enabled Airbnb to, to take off. I would say like, you know, for us, the, the curated drops and building out these drop tools, we've really, we've done a great job building this platform just by the very nature of curation and the very nature of the fact that there's only seven days in a week. It can't really scale beyond 
seven artists in a week maximum. And so building up the tools, letting anyone do their own nifty drop um, with, with their own schedule, maybe even with their own curator, if they want to work with a curator, we think will like let people way more people access this tool, which has made a lot of artists very rich. Um, so that's the other really like big initiative that we're working on this year. The two big initiatives are the secondary market and then opening up the, the you know, the verified drop tools to more creators. And I, I think it'll be, you know, there are many different platforms that artists can launch on. I think Nifty is actually a pretty unique platform and, you know, with all the creator rewards, with all the, the additions, the different types of drops formats, there's not really another platform out there that has all of those things all in one place. I think once we open it up to a lot more artists, you know, the, the number of artists who have, you know, started, started their careers and like been able to be achieve financial independence is going to grow a lot because those tools are really powerful. We've seen that with the curated medium as we open it up more and more, it's just going to, you know, empower a lot more artists. And I think, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's really what I'm, I'm most excited about curation, obviously, like by definition, it can't scale. Once we do ver more verified, more tools opening up to everybody that can scale. And I think a lot, a, a lot of artists are going to benefit from that. Yeah, no, that, that's all super helpful. And yeah, it's such a key part of the, the triangle that, that uh, Ali was mentioning. And, you know, the other key part of that is collector relations. I know we kind of touched on it. Um, but as you said, there are you know, some some key collectors who rage quit in like a public fashion. Um, you know, obviously there were some issues and, and some criticisms there. What, what would you say, like in terms of, in, is your approach to kind of improving uh, collector relations? And maybe if, what would you say to some of those collectors who maybe uh, might be listening in, who, who did have a bad experience, you know, to kind of, like what, what message would you have for them in terms terms of uh, where Nifty Gate was heading. Well, whenever someone has a bad experience, I usually say the same thing, which is I, I say like, don't over-index on, on one experience, you know, like even the, even the best run businesses like have off days and like nobody is, is perfect. Um, so you really shouldn't judge, you really shouldn't judge something by a small sample of time. Um, our, you know, our, our collector relations department, I think has gone from, well, non-existent really a year ago. Uh, this is another lesson for for startup founders i would say is don't do the if you're a founder don't do the customer support yourself yes you do get to know customers which is fun but it just doesn't scale at all and that's basically what happened to us so a year ago we we literally had no customer support now i think we actually have some of the best customer support in the space and some of the you know tara is in charge of our collector relations team she's incredible um you know almost everywhere i go now the feedback i hear is hey i love working with tara i love working with the the collector relations team, they're so helpful on everything. So yeah, I, I think if anyone has had a bad experience, I would say don't over-index on that one bad experience. Don't over-index on a, a short period of time. You know, like stay open-minded. The NFT space is like constantly growing and evolving. If you're if you're dogmatic and and say like, oh, I'll never, I'll never go back to that that platform or or this blockchain because of one bad experience, then like I feel like uh you're gonna miss opportunity and you're gonna miss exciting stuff happening. So that's really what I would say. Honestly, I mostly hear very, very positive things about our the, the team that we've built and the the customer support and collector relations. You know, like I think they've they're really fantastic and they they do an amazing job. Yeah, and I, I would just add. I mean, I Dunk and I are definitely not people who seek conflict or drama, although there's plenty of that in the NFT space. And you know, it's always fun. But um, yeah, anyone who's had a bad experience or rage quit or experienced a lot of bugs, even if you you know. We're public about it. That's okay. Like I, I would just encourage them DM me. You know, we could talk about it. I would love to try and earn your trust back as a customer. And if not, that's okay too. I mean, everyone should do what's best for themselves. But we're we're just going to keep doing our best. 
I think we really had a rough patch because our team was just way too small and we were not equipped to handle the growth. And that was, that was really the fault of Duncan and I. We should have prepared better for the growth, but I feel much better about the place we're in now. And I feel a lot more confident in Nifty Gateway being much more robust and offering good services. So I don't, I don't know. We'll just, we'll keep trying to do our best, whoever you are. Wow, dude, that, what a heartfelt and genuine response, guys. Thank you so much for that and going in going in deep and addressing the issues, man. It's very few founders, um, as you know, uh, kind of address that. So I really appreciate that, putting that on the record. And, you know, from one founder to another, I tip my hat off to you guys. Much respect um, on those growing pains and the way you guys are navigating them. All right, but let's let's transition into a little bit of like great artist relations and great collector uh, relations on this standpoint. Now we're that we're on the topic. Let's let's talk about Pac, guys. Let's talk about Pac. Like you guys had a very very stoked historic drop. Let's talk about the merge sale and how that came about. It, you know, actually, it kind of came about in a sort of like casual way. It, it wasn't something that we had been planning for a very long time. It sort of came together last minute, and and we actually. Again, this this speaks, I think, to the team that we built. We were not the ones who, like, were on the ground with with Pac. That was a you know like members of our team who were talking with Pac and like who said like, hey, we should do something during Art Basel, and then everyone came together and and you know like worked really hard to to get everything ready for the launch. But it wasn't something that had a huge buildup. You know, I think uh, a lot of us honestly were surprised by the, you know, how much of a success it became. If you had asked me, I, I definitely was not expecting that. I was expecting, you know, like, I think the the sale with Pac that we did in January was 17 million, something like that. I, I was expecting, you know, 30 million, 40 million. I was not expecting the largest ever artwork sale by a living artist. So that, that was honestly really cool to see. And then I was also, I was incredibly thrilled because of the, the way that the Nifty system held up and the way that it was just a buttery, smooth experience for Almost everybody, there were some issues, but almost everybody who participated had this incredible purchasing experience, which at that level of volume, at that level of like traffic to your website, I think was a, a really like an amazing achievement for the Nifty Gateway team. Really the biggest transition for us has been like hands-on doing work at Nifty to like hands-on building the team who does work. I was really, really proud of the team we built um, because from start to finish, they just executed amazingly. And it, it was really awesome to witness. Yeah, and I, I will just say, I mean, it, it just shows how much opportunity there is. If you build an awesome project with a custom smart contract that's on-chain and the art is not just the image, far from it. The art is you know, the contract and the code. That's something Pac has understood from very early on. I mean, I remember talking to Pac even before we launched the original Nifty Gateway. And back then, you know, they were already thinking about art as code and how a lot of art is, you know, the ex it's an experience. This is something that physical artists do really well. Like when you're looking at a Rothko, you, you, you know, you just have this experience of being in awe and art is really good at inducing an emotion. And that, that is what art as code can do, right? Like the merge, you know, part of the artwork itself is seeing how it merges and changes and the game theory of, of what people do. And it's almost like a living piece of performance art. And it's just this really, really cool thing that we've never seen before and wouldn't be possible without um, blockchain tech. So uh, yeah, I, I just think it just shows the potential for those sorts of projects. And that's that's something that we at Nifty have done a little bit. I mean, this, this or sorry, this, that's something that we at Nifty have done a lot of is custom work and working closely one-on-one -on -one with artists to devise really, really awesome stuff. And that's something we want to do a whole lot more of, you know, just the artist code and building this whole smart contract, which is a work of living art. And it, it was just so cool. And, you know, so much respect to Pac. I mean, what an impressive, 
impressive drop. They, they really just raise the bar every time. Facts on facts on facts. And thanks so much for that take, man. And, uh, and I love that, that transition of uh, working in your business, working on your business as founders as well, and like letting other people come in and let their genius shine. That's, I think that's an incredible lesson here as well. Like, you know, as founders, you don't have to solve all the problems. You can just find the people to help you solve those problems. So that's a really epic aspect as well. And shout out to Pac. They really did do a great job at that um, on that drop. Really, really awesome. Really refreshing, especially during Art Basel. All right, guys, yeah. I have yeah. I, I have an incredibly cool. hard-hitting question, guys. Like, yeah. this is going to be so, like, bear bear with us. What's it like to work with your twin brother? And then what's it like to work for another pair of twin brothers? Like, hot seat. Let's go. Everybody <laughs> punches here. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to... Okay, here's the way I like to talk about working with uh, your twin or really any sibling which is like the, the benefit of knowing someone for your entire life is you have a foundation of trust and like a, a long relationship. So there's like, it's very, uh, that, that simplifies a lot of things, right? You really don't have to worry about your founder stabbing you in the back because like, you know, I mean, mom would probably be pretty pissed if you stabbed me in the back, Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen succession? <laughs> well, so that's the other thing that I'll, that's the other side that I'll mention, which is like generally when you're a sibling with someone, you're like raised similar, you've gone to, you know, similar people, you've gone to similar schools, you usually tend to be overly competitive with like your siblings. And you can see that divide a lot of like, this is, this is always the way it goes with sibling run businesses, like 80% of them, huge foundation of trust. They work great. The other 20%, there's bitter rivals and they end up like moving across town and opening up a competing shop. And like their whole life is dedicated to, to beating their sibling. Like, I think it's Adidas and Reebok, who two brothers who originally worked together. And now, like, the, I, I can't remember the details, but you see, you see the competitiveness, like, come back to, to bite people occasionally. I think Griffin and I have, we do a good job focusing on the trust and, like, you know, not really, not really being competitive with each other. But that is, like, it, it's kind of a double-edged coin um, is the way that I would talk about sibling relationships in business. And I, I would say, we, we kind of tell the story a lot, but Duncan and I actually... Originally, we're working on separate startups, but also living together and working on separate startups. And it was actually when we went and saw a talk with the founders of Stripe, Patrick Collison, and he was just talking about working with his brother, John Collison, because you know Stripe is also like a brother-founded company. And he talked about their approach of really compartmentalizing their work. They just made sure that they were working on separate things because they knew if they were working on the same thing, then they would butt heads. That was a light bulb moment for Duncan and I. We realized we have a lot of complementary skills and we're very aligned just by nature of knowing each other so well and being identical twins. But as long as we compartmentalized our work and made sure we worked on different things, then we thought we could accomplish a lot by working together. And that's what it felt like. When we started working on Nifty Gateway together, it was like one plus one equals five. I, I feel like we were able to accomplish a lot more and build a lot more. Um, and yeah, working with the Winklevosses and another set of brothers, I think has been great. I mean, there are a lot of similarities and what I said also applies to them for sure that, you know, they're very good at working together and they have a very strong foundation of trust. And it just means you have upper leadership that's really aligned, but also people who can push back on each other, you know, present all sides of you while still being aligned. So I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it's pretty great. And really throughout history, a lot of companies are, are brother founded, like even standard oil, you know, I've been reading a lot of books about the late 19th century recently. And like even standard oil was John D Rockefeller and his brother, William founded it. 
together. And it's not talked about a bunch, but yeah, a lot of companies are founded by siblings. And I think it's for very good reason. Napoleon, Napoleon had a bunch of siblings. He just spread them all across Europe. You know, yeah, yeah, that's a good example. Some of them like turned against him, whatever, you know. <laughs> succession. It's succession. 17th century succession, you know. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, look, uh, as we kind of close things out, you know, just give us a give us a quick rundown. I know you mentioned some of the big features and issues, but what else can we expect uh from Nifty Gateway uh in the year 2022? I mean, the yeah, just want to recap. We're launching a a generalized secondary marketplace. You'll be able to trade every NFT on, on Nifty Gateway, and you'll be able to do it for 70% lower gas fees than other, other blockchains. If something's listed at on 0. 0.4 for 0.4 ETH on Nifty and it's listed for 0. 0.4 ETH somewhere else, that purchase is always going to be cheaper because of the lower gas fee, the, the total all-in cost. So we're incredibly excited about that. We can't wait to see what what will unlock for the NFT space. And we're we're doing the verified drop tools. We're we're gonna open up the platform so everybody can use the drop tools that that have been so su- successful with the curated medium. I think we've paid out something like three hundred or three hundred fifty million dollars to artists, a very high number. And so, and that's just with the curated drops. You know, that's like that's limited by the fact that there are seven days in a week. You know, there's only seven curated drops that we can do in a week. Once we have the verified tools, you know, anyone are gonna be able to use those those tools that have been so successful for other people. And, and uh, you know, hopefully that 300 million number becomes 30 billion or 300 billion. I think it can because, you know, artists are, yeah, I mean, the the fact that artists are making a living doing this is one of the best aspects of the, the NFT space, hands down. So those are the two main things, verified drop tools, secondary marketplace for everything with lower gas fees. And we're going to continue to do awesome curated drops, you know, like we're, as we've really reached a, I think like the POC drop was a huge success. And the team is, you know, incredibly, we're really at a point where we can do amazing curated drops. Like I think uh, we have like a track record, like no one else in the space. So we're going to keep doing those awesome curated drops and it's going to be incredible. And then there's a bunch of other stuff too, that uh, to keep your eyes out on, like a, a lot more announcements. Those are just like the, the main things on the top of my, top of my mind. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. You crushed it, Duncan. And I would just say, make sure to follow us both on Twitter. I'm, I'm G Cock Foster on Twitter and Duncan is... D Cockfoster, I believe. I'm DC Cockfoster. DC Cockfoster, yeah. Middle name Carl. Yeah, th- that'll be the best way to get updates about everything that's coming on Nifty. And then also follow Nifty Gateway at Nifty Gateway on Twitter. And yeah, we're just excited to ship a lot of stuff and try to build stuff that moves the ecosystem forward. There it is. Well, we look forward to, to seeing it all come to fruition and moving things forward as well. Duncan, Griffin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate, Appreciate you. Cheers. Wow, what an episode, Alejandro. What stood out to you? What an episode indeed, man. I think what really stood out for me was Duncan and Griffin's uh, vulnerability and authenticity around being founders in a high growth, fast growing startup such as Nifty. You know, so many people on the outside, on the outskirts, are only seeing the numbers in terms of revenue and sales, but they really don't know what really happens in the back end in terms of growing pains. And I love the way that they took ownership, you know. They took responsibility for uh, the areas where they f- fell short, and, and and it was done in a very authentic way. And I think that they're positioning themselves to to win in the long term, uh, playing long term games. That's really what resonated with me. And then the second thing that really stood out for me, man, is like I'm really excited for this whole 
lower gas fee future that is going to be present in 2022 on Nifty Gateway, especially for newcomers, because gas can be such a detriment for to onboard new people because it's a concept that many don't really understand. So if you see something that is same price, but lower cost to transact, I think that there is going to be really interesting as to how that's going to position them in the marketplace um, within the other platforms. Yeah, 100%. Like, I really appreciated how straightforward they were, you know, kind of acknowledging what went right, what went wrong, uh, as you said, taking responsibility. And, you know, I think Nifty Gateway has a really important role to play. Uh, you know, for, for so many people, it's it's been their onboard ramp to this ecosystem. And uh, as we're seeing an explosion in interest in NFTs to kick off the year and so many new users coming aboard, I think it's going to play a critical role. And I'm excited to see how things uh, play out as well. Before we, uh, we go, just a reminder, you know, Go to your uh, podcast platform of choice. Give us a review. We love the stars and always happy to hear from you. And we will catch you next time on the NFT Now podcast.